0: Mary, Jesus looks like an adult right there, uh, but like the the different ways that Mary is, is portrayed throughout history, and there's way more. I mean, you could really just do a deep dive on this, and I tried to pick some of the ones that at least website said were, were the most significant. And as you look at those pictures, she just looks very serene, like almost not real. And I've been present at a couple births. It doesn't happen like that. And she just looks like she's almost not really human. She definitely looks like she hasn't had a baby, right? And sometimes I think we still get this wrong. There's a song that's become popular lately. Uh, We sang it at the Christmas show, uh, Mary, Did You Know? And it's a beautiful song. Oh, Mary, did you know? We can hold on one second. I had to get my solo. Yeah, I had to, I'm I'm trying out for next year. Uh, And so it's, it's, it's beautiful, and it's really it's written in the 80s, and it really became popular in the 90s, and it's, it's just kind of funny because it's like it asks all these questions, and the author of the song actually says that he wanted to basically, if he had a chance to have a conversation with Mary, these are the questions that he would ask, and I just find it interesting because I don't really, the questions aren't questions that are all that interesting. Like, they're generally, like, answered in the scripture, like... The couple that are probably yes, the answer to within the realm of possibility, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Yeah. And Mary's like, yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know. He's God's child. He probably, I'm not exactly sure. But Mary, did you know your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Yeah, I guess he probably could do that. Like, he's God's son. I I don't know. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day calm a storm? Yeah, it's within the realm of possibility. So those are the ones that are at least remotely interesting. The certainly yes questions are, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Yes, that was told to her already. Uh, Did you know your baby boy is coming to make you new? Yeah. Uh, Did you know your baby boy has walked where angels trod? Yeah, she might not fully understand that, but probably. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Yes, I've already been given that information. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Yes, that's also been given. Did you know your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? Yeah, she might not put it that way, but she said, yeah, she's coming for the sins of the world. So we really answered most of those questions like, yeah, I have it already. Like, I got that down. They're not really necessarily the questions that I think are appropriate that you ask Mary. There's other things that are probably more interesting, like, what was it like raising Jesus? Did he ever screw up? Like, did you ever have to spank him? Like, (laughs) did his diapers smell? And there's a whole lot of, like, more interesting questions that I would like to ask, but it's another one that's just, it's very, very sentimental, and it's like, Mary, it's like, it's very, it's a beautiful song, and I hope I haven't ruined it for you, but (laughs) oftentimes we can think of this in this this very sentimental way and, and miss the grittiness of the whole thing. If you think about, again, the way that Princess Diana and Prince Charles travel, like, that's how kings travel. That's how those who are in charge, who are in power, that's how you do it. But God enters the world as a baby, like through birth. It's dirty, born in a stable. It's not the way that any of us would choose, Right? Nobody would say, I want to sign up for that. If I'm having a baby, this is going to be my birth story. That's going to be in a barn. And nobody would choose to do that. But this is the way that God enters the world. And at some points, I think we need to recognize that and recognize that it's not just about this nice sentiment. I think one of the reasons for that type of song and then those pictures is we kind of try to capture the the, the holiness and the set-apartness of this moment. And I think that's definitely there. But it's also very gritty and very real, just like all of our lives are at times. So in Luke chapter 1, the passage we've been reading through this series, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the Lord, the most high. The Lord God will give, his throne, will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So this is where she gets a lot of the information for the Mary Did You Know song. There's a whole lot there. And imagine in this moment being this, this teenage girl from a nowhere place receiving this kind of news. It's weighty. And there's this mixture of great, like this, this is good news, but it also fills me with some anxiety. This is hard news as well. Ultimately, like, what is this going to require of me? And we talked last week about how in that time and place, in kings and kingdoms, it was always like you would show off your power and like kill somebody, but then you're watching your back because you had to be killed as well. At that time, Rome was in charge, and the peace of Rome was not very peaceful. It was just might makes right, basically. Like, whoever can kill the most people and get them to, like, bow to you, that is what peace actually is. And so when Mary starts hearing these kinds of terms, oh, king and kingdom, and this is going to be what this is like, for Mary, this is a little bit of weighty news. And she's thinking about exactly all that this means. And as we think about our lives and we think about God's calling for us, when we start to consider, you know I, th- I really think that God has called me to, to start like this ministry or, or to, to work in this area or to really like improve this area of my life, we realize how hard it is like you start out i 'm going to say like this this monitor right here is is A, and then what you 're trying to get to is B, and you find yourself in the middle, for example we're having January first coming up, so we have a lot of New Year's resolutions possibly in our mind. And you're thinking, all right, I, I'm going to lose that that weight or get into the gym all the time, and, you know, and that's a new me on January first, like, or maybe January second once I get back to work. But then you're sitting in your office, January third, and the, the snacks you've promised yourself that you're not going to get, you're not going to visit the vending machine. It's really tempting, right? To get from point A to actually point B where it is that you want to arrive, it's going to be difficult work. To do the things that God has called you to, there's going to be some times when ultimately you're really going to need to rely on God. To say, God, I need your spirit and presence because I'm halfway through this and I don't know if I can make it that far. This is difficult. This is hard. The calling that you've placed on my life I need your spirit, your presence. I need you to continue to guide me. Ultimately, I think we see in the work of of Mary in her life, we see that the same thing, that there are moments, I'm sure that she is exhausted. There are moments when she's wondering, "Can can I do this? Is this really what you've called me to? Oftentimes it's as things get a little bit more difficult as they get hard when you're trying to like do something new with your life or new in the world that those things get a little bit difficult and we think well maybe God hasn't called me to that. And that's at the moment when sometimes I think we need to buckle up a little bit and be more committed and say you know that actually maybe resistance that you need to push through. And you don't have to do it alone. You have God's spirit and presence with you and you can talk to other people about it. But ultimately, like to get to this point where you're like really thankful for what has happened and the changes that you've made as you think about like what it was to get from here to here and you like really amazed that you know God worked through me in this season. It's going to take some grit. It's going to take some determination. I love how 2 Corinthians says this. This is a popular passage, but there's a passion translation uh, that, that I really like. If you put that up for me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Um, so not that one. Um, we are common, like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within, so that the extraordinary overflow of power will be seen as God's, not ours. That we experience every kind of pressure, we are not crushed. At times, we don't know what to do, but quitting is not an option. At times, we find ourselves in the midst of this moment, and we don't know. But you know what? We committed back here that we are going to stay the course. So quitting is not an option. And so as Mary experiences this call in her life, she has some extraordinarily high highs. She receives this news. And right after this, in in Luke, I think that's the verse you have for me right now. In Luke chapter 1, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So she receives this news about her own birth and then also about Elizabeth's, her cousins, and she hurries to this area. We don't think of that as all that big of a deal. It's like running around the corner. But actually, I found that that journey is quite a bit. Go to that next slide for me. Luke doesn't mention whether Mary made any preparations for this trip or how she traveled That she goes to Elizabeth's. She may have gone on foot or as part of a caravan since she was poor. Likely it was on foot. In Mary's day, a person traveling by foot could cover about 20 miles a day. If Mary walked to Elizabeth's home, it would have taken her four to five days. If she's accompanied by a caravan, she would have arrived in about three days. It's, it's likely that after she receives this news that she takes this journey, which is at least three days, probably more like five And this is that celebratory high, high moment, right? Like giving Elizabeth a hug and this cousin who you've been rooting for to have a kid forever. She now is pregnant. That's one of those, you're you're excited. You're like, you know, thank you, God. You know, Elizabeth, it's also happening to me. And these are like some of the only women in human history until very recently to know what baby, what gender baby they're having. So they had the first gender reveal party, I think. They, like, shot balloons up in the air. It's actually in Matthew, I think, somewhere. No, they, they, didn't, they didn't do that. But so this is, like, an incredible high high. They're, they're so excited. Wow, this is so great. And it actually says that Mary stays with um, her cousin Elizabeth for the next three months. Like, they're just enjoying it. I mean, what a special season to be together. But then, eventually, Mary is riding on a donkey, very pregnant, and gives birth in a stable. So though she's had a high high, she's now experiencing some, some difficulties. Pregnancy on its own is hard. Riding very pregnant on a donkey is, is crazy hard. And then in the life of Mary and, and Jesus growing up, you have the scene where the wine is running out at a party. And Mary says to Jesus, hey, you can do something about this. This party's about to die. Can you do this? And this is a very awkward interaction, but Jesus ends up doing it. It's like Mary's like, yeah, that's my son. That's my boy. Like he can make a lot of wine for this party, basically. This is unbelievable. Then Mary is with her son on the cross, right? So there's these high highs and there's some great moments in the ministry of Jesus, but there's also some really difficult Things Yet, if you were to ask Mary about it, I think she would tear up at times when she told parts of the story. She would laugh at times when she told parts of the story. But she would say it was worth it. That it was worth it to continue to press in to pursue God's call on her life. And oftentimes, I think when we think of what Christmas is is about, it can just be about like the, the gifts and all the stuff and the like extra pressure and anxiety, and then sometimes towards the end of it, you're just happy to have survived it perhaps. There's a bank that went through and figured out how much the items would cost for the 12 days of Christmas, like how much it would cost if you actually were to buy all that for your true love, like the... What is it? People leaping, lords of leaping. I don't know how how they even figured that out. But the total cost in today's dollars is 156507 and 88 So um, unless you're very wealthy, it's unlikely that you're able to pull off that for, for your true love. And it would be also just fill your house with stuff. And this is the kind of stuff that's kind of just going on in the background, right? It's like, that's the song that you're walking through Target listening to or whatever. And you can just kind of think like, that's what this is about when really the coming of Christ was, was humility. It was smallness. It was real life to a woman at times that probably had more questions than answers, to a woman that goes through something difficult and probably finds herself as she gives birth and then continues on this call in her life and just in between point A and point B and having to say, God, I need to rely on you in this moment. I don't know if I can take another step. There's a point in Jesus' ministry in the gospel of John where he feeds 5,000 and it's this, this really powerful moment, and he, and he feeds everybody there. And then at the end of this moment, he says something really hard. So the people are getting excited, because if you feed people, that was a way of saying, like, I am the king, and giving them some food was a way to get some favor uh, because if if you were going to be the king, you could give out some food and people are very hungry during that time. And so they're thinking, wow, this is going to be awesome. He's going to do this. And then Jesus doesn't just talk about how, well, I'm just going to feed you forever. He says some really hard things and some awkward stuff about himself. Like I'm going to sacrifice my body and my blood. And so the people who were once like all there, they're like, "Eh, I don't know that I want to be part of this. Like, I'm not sure. Like, you're getting a little too weird for us. We just were here for the lunch. Like, when's the next one of those? Like, I don't necessarily want to, like, think about sacrifice and the the weird stuff that you're talking about right now. And so at at the end of this, in John chapter 6, verses 66 to 68, it says, And from that time, many of his disciples, so the people who were starting to, to gather and he was gaining popularity, they turned back and they no longer followed him. So Jesus said to his 12, and you, you also want to leave? Peter spoke up and said, but Lord, where would we go? No one but you gives us the revelation of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. And I think about being a disciple in that scene. Because it was pretty easy to follow Jesus when everybody was there, right? It's pretty easy when he's like giving out food to 5,000 people. That's like the the, the excited moment. That's like, cool, this is awesome. Where do I sign up? But then when it gets a little bit weird and he starts going into some stuff that you're like, I don't know. And then then Jesus, and as he turns to you in this group that was once thousands of people, is a a handful, he turns to like his, his 12 that are with him, and he says, do you want to go too? I imagine that some of them are like, yeah, I think I'm out too. I don't know. I, I, I was in it when it was like cool and this was really fun. But now, I don't know. You just got weird. I imagine that there are at least one or two of the 12 disciples that are like, I don't know. It sounds like it's going to cost a lot. It sounds like it's going to take some serious commitment. And of course, Peter, Peter's like the guy in church who always had the right answer growing up, like, it's Jesus. And he's always the one that, that talks and says something. So Peter, Peter says something nice. He's like, yeah, no, but Lord, I, I would. And you're like, oh, Peter. And there goes Peter again. But like, am I the only one that's struggling with this? Just imagine Jesus looking at you in that moment after large groups of people have left looking at you and just saying, are, are you out on this? Partly because I think Jesus gets that there's a little bit of like, oh, this is hard, right? And there are moments like that for all of us where we wonder, like, do I really want to push through this? Do I have the strength to continue in this moment? And it's in those times, I think, that we recognize the strength and power of God when we come to the end of ourselves. And we say, God, I'm going to lean on your power and your strength in this season. God, I don't have the wherewithal to stay in this, but God says, just stay in the struggle. I'm with you. I'm working in this moment. Craig Goshell, who's a pastor, he says, there's moments in your life when you just basically need this equation, that my experience plus God's presence equals enough as you think back on your life and what you've been through before where you have seen the faithfulness of God perhaps in your life, you remember some of those things and then you say, and I believe, God, that you're with me and that I'm not alone. And I'm just going to believe that that is enough. As you think about the stories of scripture where you find a woman like Mary, someone in poverty, from a nowhere town who God says, I have chosen you. May you remember that that is the kind of person that God works through. That you are the type of person when you feel at the end of your rope that God works through. I think of Paul as he's wrestling with the thorn in his flesh. And it says three times I pleaded with you to take this away from me. And God's answer to Paul, who honestly is one of the best like, Christian examples and Christian witnesses in human history, after three times of pleading, is basically my presence will be enough for you. Which doesn't sound like that satisfying of an answer at times. But maybe recognize that it is. Because God still turns the world around through people who don't quit halfway through. Who say, you know what? I'm going to stay in this because God, I believe you have called me to this thing. I'm going to rely on you during this season. I'm not going to just go with whatever everyone's telling me to do. I'm going to rely on you in this season. The Mary that we learn about during the Christmas season, I think she tells us that this is the beginning of a revolution that's going to turn the world upside down. Think about how much of the world has changed. Literally, the calendar that we write on every single day, it's in the year of our Lord, right? And the world changed in this moment. You simply can't deny that something significant happened. And it's because this poor woman was called by God. And she continued to lean into God's calling in her life. If you feel weary and tired, if you find yourself in the middle of something difficult, Mary gets it. This holiday season is an invitation to all of us to fight back against the darkness that we see in our world. To recognize that God is still calling people who seem insignificant to do amazing things. And unfortunately, I think we get that wrong at times. Especially in a place like the United States that is very, very wealthy. We get it wrong as we think about how we celebrate what this truly means. Because this story is about a woman who seemed very insignificant and someone that no one would really care about. But God sees her. God knows her. And God chooses to work through her. Again, it's somewhat like the air we breathe. We hear the twelve days of Christmas in the store, or you see the the commercial like this with a big bow on a car. I'm just curious, and it's okay if you if you raise your head, if it's okay. But does anyone ever even know somebody who's gotten a car for Christmas? There's a couple, a couple. That's fine. That's fine. I'm not I'm not judging you or your friends. Apparently, you roll in a high posse. But. Uh, <laughs> That was two people in here who actually know of somebody, not even necessarily themselves, Who got a car for Christmas? Yet, like, you see these commercials every year, right? It's like every time there's a commercial of anything you're watching, it's like, yeah, there goes one of them. It's always perfect. Like, their home is manicured perfectly decorated for Christmas. And it always looks like an amazing looking couple who's super happy. And they go outside and it's the perfect amount of snow outside. Like, it's not like annoying that they had to scrape out the driveway. It's just like the perfect amount of snow. And it's, this is the kind of stuff that's every Christmas you see. And it's like, oh, yeah, there we go. And I think the problem with, with this is American Christmas is for happy people. Like, it's for people who generally have life going pretty well. And then it's like the cherry on top of an already pretty good life. But The good news is the church doesn't celebrate Christmas like that. Historically, the way that the church talks about Christmas is Advent which is the coming of a king, which means we all, and as you th- think about the songs that are church songs actually about Christmas, it's, oh, come, O oh, come, Emmanuel, right? It's God, like things aren't perfect for us here. We, we need you to come. We need to have room in our hearts for your good news. The church's Christmas is for waiting people. And that can be for happy people. Or it can be for those who are having difficult seasons in their lives. It's about all of us saying that, yeah, there's some, some good things in my life, but God, I, I'm thankful that you still plan to come and make this world right someday because it's broken. I see the brokenness in myself. I see the brokenness around it different ways. And God, I need you to come. And so if you're happy this Christmas, praise God, but no. That one day something even better is going to come. And it's not about Alexis in the driveway. And if you're sad, if this is a Christmas that, you know, you were really hoping that something would have changed in your life. Or maybe it's your first Christmas without somebody. Know that God meets you there. And historically, that is the way the church has celebrated Christmas forever. It's about all of us. Waiting, turning our hearts once again to God, recognizing that, yeah, things aren't perfect for me, but God, I once again say that I need your restoration, your hope, and your peace. And so if you find yourself in the middle of something difficult, especially during this holiday season, know that God is with you in that place. I love how G.K. Chesterton says this. He says, an adventure is only an inconvenience rightly considered. An inconvenience is only adventure wrongly considered. And some of you are going to have some adventures this holiday season. Some of you are going to places where you're going to have long delays because of snow. And some of you are going to have a Christmas where it's just kind of awkward. But may we recognize that God meets us there because American Christmas is for happy people. But Christmas for the Christian Christian for the waiting person. And think even about what life is really about. Because as you gather with family and friends over Christmas, what are the stories that get told? The time that you got snowed in and didn't quite make it? Or that time that the flu ripped through your family? And those are the stories that get told, right? And we don't want them to happen again. <laughs> But it's in those moments of vulnerability, it's in those like imperfect memories that we have that we look back on and in those moments that we truly see the love of each other. And we're like, okay, I don't want to go through that Christmas again, but you know, I'm really glad that we did it somehow. That it's even in imperfect moments that we recognize that the love of God is with us. So Maybe we recognize that as we think about someone like Mary who receives this great news and she runs to her cousin's house and they have all of this fun and this celebrating, it still is a long road. But Mary would tell you, it's worth it. Maybe recognize that sometimes we find ourselves in between point A and point B. We need to rely on the power of God. May we hear the words of scripture that tell us, I kind of want to go home at times, but I just don't want to quit because God has called me to this big thing. May we recognize that God continues to come into the world through humble servants who go on long journeys and who recognize that adventure is only an inconvenience rightly considered. May recognize that we all, whether we find ourselves in a good place this holiday season or not, we all are waiting on the coming of Jesus. Let's prepare our hearts for that.